Hello, and welcome to CineDrunk, the podcast where we are drunk on cinema and alcohol. Brought to you by Cinemunch.com. I'm one of your hosts, Matt, joined as always by Nathan. Hello. And Elizabeth. Hi. Welcome. So we are going to be doing just a wrap-up so far of the summer movies of 2014, and we'll do another one at the end of the summer. And our beverage for the the day will be shared by Nathan. Yes, so um, we are well into summer, and the living is easy, so we are (laughs) doing an easy drink uh, with our favorite liquor, gin. Mm -hmm. Combined with limeade and uh, some muddled blueberries and some whole blueberries. So I call this creation the Liminator uh, gin and limeade. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's uh, really not very much of note in any way. No, it's, it's easy. <laughs> it's an easy, breezy, so beautiful, beautiful summer drink. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it gets the job done. That's all you need. <laughs> it's definitely one that you can drink outside on a hot day and not feel like dehydrated. Mm-hmm. This is true. I also think it tastes a little bit like a lime popsicle mm-hmm. uh, when you when you kind of suck the syrup out of it too fast and it starts to taste watery and <laughs> that's that's pretty much what an endorsement for, for so, making this drink. Mix at your own risk. <laughs> the the lemonator? Lime, lime, lime? Liminator. Liminator. No, because gin. Li- lim- okay, lim- so it's kind of weird. But it's kind of like eliminator. <laughs> I, I tried. It's perfect. Yeah. I like it. Cool. Um, and there are some movies that we'll talk about that they really tried, and they did not succeed. Oh, yeah. um, but the first movie, we're actually cheating a little bit. It was not. It was more of a spring release, um, which was... Captain America, the Winter Soldier, or as we'll call it since we're recording on the f- July 4th, Captain America. America. F yeah. Happy 4th. Happy 4th, mm-hmm. which again was released in the spring, but it feels sort of like the spirit of a, of a summer movie. Totally. Um, so yeah, I actually really liked it. Oh yeah. And I think of the Marvel many superhero movies, it would probably be my second favorite after... The Avengers. Now, what was this about again? I, I don't really remember. No, I, th- I think I remember enjoying it. What I do remember for sure that I would want to note is that Scarlett Johansson kind of kicked ass. Agreed. Um, which is so surprising. Like when you think of the first time you saw that character in Iron Man Two. Terrible. Wretched. So bad. It was like what. This is what you're doing with your life, Scarlett Johansson? And she's really turning it around. I mean, she has both with her career, but also in the Avengers, Joss Whedon knows how to write female characters right. and really boosted her profile, and she's ran with that. I think she was great and such a good addition to the Captain America universe. You know, I think Chris Evans is really great yeah. in this role, um, and I, you know, I like him in general. But Anthony Mackie was great, Robert Redford was great, and really added to that sort of and this was, I think they, the filmmakers had stated was an influence, was like that 70s sort of, yeah. um, you know, all the president's men kind of like, yeah. because they're starting to distrust S.H.I.E.L.D., which is the big Marvel, um, whatever it is, right. conglomerate, agency. their agency or whatever, yeah. Which I also really liked because the other movies, just a refresher for Nathan, 
Thank you. And Thank anyone you. who might be listening, basically it takes place after the events of the Avengers, so we're in present day with Captain America, and there's a mole sort of within S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. Um, and and some S.H.I.E.L.D. agents are being killed off. Samuel Jackson's... Yeah. What's his name? Mr. Nick Fury. It's <laughs> great to call him Mr. Fury. Mr. Fury. I just like to be very formal, Mr. Fury. <laughs> um, they attempt to assassinate him because he's sort of questioning. Basically, they're like selling off and setting up people inside, and then it turns out at the end that um, S.H.I.E.L.D. has actually been a working cog of Hydra, which is like the big um, villain. Right, big, like Russian or right. German Nazi. German yeah, Nazi. There's, there's lots of yeah, um, but it allegory. did work. I think what worked really well is coming off of like where there are these big, huge villains, and it's talking about like world annihilation or like major cities being destroyed. There was something really nice about the intimate story that it's about the internal workings. Yeah, um, which was a nice way to sort of. I mean, there are still obviously big giant you know, action set pieces. For but sure. It was a nice way to sort that are of well scale done. back and personalize the story that were really well done. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these summer movies, with the action, especially Michael Bay, Transformers, it's just oh a mess of CGI and you do not know what is going on with yeah. this. Like, every fight scene, it was, you were right there and you could tell what was going on. It was really well shot and still suspenseful. Right. Um, I really liked the first Captain America. and Me too. You know, it was a, period piece. It was, mm-hmm. you know, World War Two, and, you know, this was almost like fish out of water placing Captain America in the present day, and he's still sort of catching up with, you know, what's what's cool and, right. and what, how modern day Yeah. Works. Well, thank you, Matt and Elizabeth. <laughs> that was enlightening. Mm-hmm. Captain America for dummies. I, and, I could write a term paper now. And the last thing I would say about that movie is that I came out of that movie crazy in love with Anthony Mackie. He's good. He plays the, like, sidekick. He's, like, the non-superhero of any sort type. Right, he was just a... He ends up having those... He's, like, the Falcon or something Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was good. Yeah. But basically, he was just crazy charming. Like, really charismatic. They had good chemistry. I mean, Chris Evans tends to have chemistry with a dish towel, so... And I also like that Scarlett, that the Black Widow has her own, like, internal life and story Mm -hmm. that is not just related to her relationship with any of the men. Or being pregnant. (laughs) Well, speaking of pregnancy and women and wombs, as we Ah, tend to discuss, the the next summer film that that, uh, only I saw, (laughs) thankfully for everyone else's eyes, was uh, The Other Woman. Which I will watch at some point. No, I will. With uh, Cameron Diaz and Leslie Mann and somehow Kate Upton. It, I will say, you know, my mom or my parents were in town and we were going to go to the Guggenheim, you know, classy, but uh, they were closed on, two, on Thursdays. So, of course, the next best option was to go to Times Square and watch The Other Woman. Which, for any of you who live in New York or have visited New York, you know that basically it's either... The culture of the Guggenheim or AMC theaters for the other woman. For the yeah. other woman, real classy. Um, but it, I will say, it was not as wretched as I thought it would be. It was bad, formulaic, not you know, two dimensional characters even. <laughs> but 
Cameron Diaz is always charming. Like she, good for her. She has found her niche. She is navigating mm -hmm. that career. I don't know about Annie coming up, but um, and Leslie Mann, I love. She's I love hilarious, and it was not as like pandering and like anti-feminist as a lot of the right. you know media attention towards the movie was. And it turned out to be a success. It's grossed like almost ninety million. Yeah. No, how is that possible? Well, never mind. I know. You know what though? I'm I don't know. I'm okay <clears throat> with it if only for the fact that maybe then more. You know, I feel like there's still every time a movie starring females yeah. does well at the box office, there's like a surprise, like oh, this oh one my gosh, well. I didn't expect that. Are you being a crazy feminist again? I, am. <laughs> I don't know what's happening, guys. It just happens. Oh. No, but I'm just saying, like, I mean, there are so many like shitty movies made with male stars. I support yeah, a world absolutely. in which shitty movies made shitty with female stars can still make a ton of money. Yeah. That's true. It's great. True that. And there were some funny moments. Yeah. There sure were. But that being said, we can probably move on. Yeah. That's about all you need to say about it. I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to, to anyone alive, but <laughs> if you're dead and got nothing better to do, check out the other woman. Ghosts have at it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next, we would have seen uh, the most recent X-Men movie, X-Men Days of Future Past. Mm -hmm. Most recent, but set in the past. <laughs> well, the future. The future past. Oh, yeah, that's there right. There was the past and I the future. I think I remember this one. <laughs> was it kind of 70s Yes. Yeah. So the, ba the basic storyline of it is that it's, it sort of starts in a post-apocalyptic time where there, oh, yeah. there were these right. creations called the Sentinels that are basically able to evolve to any of the mutant superpowers, and so they're wiping out all, all mutants and also all mutant sympathizers, and they show sort of a concentration camp type thing, and then they show some fighting, surviving mutants, which includes Kitty Pride, which is Ellen Page, mm. who I am always oh, happy to yeah. see ever, even always. in a very small part like the one she has in this movie, and some other kind of cool... So it starts with like a pretty good action scene, set in the future, getting to see some mutant powers. Um, and basically, Kitty, <laughs> for some unknown reason, has evolved the gift to be able to send someone like back in time, their consciousness yeah, back, back in time. In time. Um, and they end up using that on Wolverine to send him back to the 70s to change the events that led to the Sentinel's creation, which is Mystique assassinating a character played by Peter Dinklage. Yeah. And, that was and this was a good way to sort of merge the two casts because there was, you know, the reboot a couple years ago, um, X-Men First Class, that had um, James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender as the young um, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Mm -hmm. Great casting. Loved the two of them in, in that so good. original reboot. reboot. Um, with more of the the uh, classic cast mm -hmm. of, of X-Men, and it was also a, a good way to bring back Brian Singer, who had originally done the first two X-Men movies, mm -hmm. um, X-Men and X-Men 2, X2, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I really liked it. I mean, I was looking forward to it only because I probably like half the X-Men movies. I really liked the two <laughs> Brian Singers, and then I liked First Class. Yeah. Um, I kind of forget the other ones. The rest are kind of garbage. Right, and it's a lot of charismatic actors. I think that even though some of it takes place in the future, most of it is set in the 70s, and it's kind of a fun change for a superhero movie to have it be 
period. Yeah, totally. Um, that said, it was a little, like, if I thought about the plot too hard. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily hold together. <laughs> right. Especially by the end. It was like, wait, where, what does this mean for the rest of this series? But it, it's also, you know, it's a comic book. Right. Comic books do that stuff all the time. All the time. And it was a really entertaining movie. It, you know, had a great arc. It moved me. Yeah. I still, as much as I love Jennifer Lawrence, I just don't love her in the role of Mystique or she whatever was, the, the role was called. Yeah, yeah, for me, she was the number one downside to the movie, actually. And oh. I think it's unfair that I think that. And it's only because she's so scrutinized because her star power has yeah. Yeah. increased so much. So, of course, I'm going to focus on her. But I know it. You know, knowing what she's capable of, it was just a pretty huge disappointment. Not, not that she was awful, right. um, but it, she just didn't seem to bring much to the table. And it, it could have also been that the character wasn't written in this script to have that much, I have enough to do. I think that that's part of the problem with the <clears throat> X-Men movies in general. Again, not I'm not trying to be a crazy feminist at all. Well, uh -huh. we already know you are. So. We already know I am. But no, but... Actually, like, even going back and looking at the original X-Men, for whatever reason, the way they've been written, they've found certain men much more... Like, Wolverine is one that they seem to have found the most interesting and written an interesting arc. And yeah. then when they went back and did the reboot, it was really about the relationship between Charles and Xavier, which right. works perfectly because James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender are such great actors and they have incredible chemistry together. Yeah. And then in the other ones, you have Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart, who are, of course, amazing actors and have incredible yeah. chemistry together. So, anyways, I feel like they're just more fleshed out. Yeah, I feel like this was only fleshed out or mystique-focused because Jennifer it's Jennifer Lawrence. And they were like, oh, right. her star has ascended even since first class. Let's make this character bigger. Right. And it's not like but it didn't it, work, it just... Right. But it wasn't um, deeper, it was just bigger. Right. It was still, true. it was still like a really, I was never not entertained. I was really yep. entertained through That's the whole true. thing, which I think totally. is what a movie like that needs to do. It I was would, a solid summer yeah. blockbuster. Absolutely. I would and a good also, entry in that franchise. Yeah. I would also say I appreciated, even though they didn't flesh out his character, I appreciated that they cast Peter Dinklage in a part in which it was never even brought up the fact that he is a little person. That's true. Like, it was a character that could have been... You know what I mean? It feels like they just were like, Peter Dinklage is a great actor. Let's cast him in this part. Mm -hmm. He Versus, was a villain, though. He was a villain, but he wasn't a villain because he was a little person. You know what I mean? He was a villain right. because of what he was right. doing. It was just never addressed. It's a step in the right direction. It's a step in the right direction. Yeah. He wasn't cast in it because the part required a little person to play it. I think my favorite person in the film actually ended up being Evan Peters. So, so great. And it's, I mean, he was great, but it was also just the role. Like it, no, totally. it added such a boost of fun. And like the, the best scene in the whole movie. Oh, absolutely. So good. He plays uh, Quicksilver, though I don't think it was even mentioned that no, I think his just called character's name is Quicksilver because of the weird right. studio rights. Technically, some other studio has the rights Marvel. for Quicksilver. Marvel does, so they'll have... Um, Aaron Taylor Johnson or Aaron Johnson Taylor, whatever his name is, in the next Avengers movie as the same comic book character. But no, he was great. That was a great scene when they yeah. had to break Magneto out of the Pentagon. Totally great. But yeah, so I think thumbs up from all of us for X-Men. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, moving on, speaking of Aaron Taylor, John, Taylor Johnson, Johnson, whatever his name is, <laughs> uh, Godzilla was the next big summer oh, movie that we saw. This, I have to say, 
was such a crushing disappointment for me. It was. Um, because the trailer, I mean, really, you just should watch the trailer, and that's it. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of a, a trailer fanboy, and this was one of the better trailers I've seen in quite some time. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and I actually read an, a review of this movie after I was, after we watched it that kind of said as much that really just watch the trailer instead oh. of the movie. <laughs> I think it was in the New York Times or something. <laughs> but um, it just, it, it was, it, at parts, at times it was boring, which yeah. seems impossible for a movie like this. Um, the acting wasn't as strong as I had hoped it would be. It, well, that's because they also killed off, spoiler alert, yeah, they killed off Brian Cranston people. by far the most interesting screen presence in the first like 15 minutes. Oh yeah, who's the, is it Aaron Johnson who's the Yeah, yeah. Younger, he's very pretty. He's but horrible. Super bland. And then when you have Elizabeth Olsen as like, well, I, I guess the next... But, but not even, sort of. I mean, I don't even know that she even encounters, I think she, like, sees Godzilla once at the end. Yeah, who knows? She had nothing to do but cry worry. over her man and worry. <laughs> I will say, it was really, I, I really thought the CGI was great, it was really well done. The director, Gareth Edwards, you know, came from doing, like, a small, I think he'd only done one other feature film mm -hmm. called Monsters, which I haven't, I haven't seen, I have heard good things, but, you know, it's much, much smaller budget. I thought he did a really good job, and I loved that you know, the direction, like the tone of the, the whole movie and the look, it was all very focused and it was really well done, but entirely just humorless. See, I was going to say, see, I think the look of the film was great. I think it was shot beautifully. I mm -hmm. think for the most part, um, I agree the CGI was well done. I think for the most part, the action scenes were well constructed and shot. Mm -hmm. Although I did have a problem at the end that I do in a lot of movies is when it's one CGI character battling another CGI <laughs> right, character. like Transformers. Like Transformers, or even like there were parts in King Kong, mm. um, you know, when it was like King Kong versus the dinosaurs or dinosaur versus dinosaur or whatever. Like there's just, when there's no human, human element, states. I tend yeah. to zone out. So I zoned out a little bit during that. But this movie was utterly humorless it really was which felt like a slog it made it seem kind of long yeah. and, and speaking of the human element when some of the time when they tried to add a human element it was just a random child i think they did this two or three yeah. times they, they add a, they introduced this random child that all of a sudden the character is supposed to care for and then just the exit <laughs> strategy is oh there's there's the child there's parents. the parents done next okay Let's wipe our hands of this and move on. I mean, it was bizarre. It was. It kind of was. <laughs> I did appreciate it. I mean, we've already spoiled it that Brian Cranston dies, but, like, that death or all the destruction really had impact or meaning, and it wasn't just like, ooh, look at this destruction porn, like, day after tomorrow, tomorrow. Like, you know, there's... Sometimes people go to summer movies to see all this destruction and chaos, and for some reason we right. get this, like, thrill from it, and this was by adding some of the those deaths and the you know just that it had this generally dark tone it it made it a little more grounded and a little more realistic but again especially as a summer movie give me a i mean there's humor in real life there's humor in destructive and 
awful situations. Give me a single joke. Well, just anything. You know what I actually think, and I am just now making this comparison in my head. Later, we're going to talk about um, a movie, Snowpiercer, by um, director Director Bong. Bong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I just recently rewatched his movie, The Host, which is a Mm -hmm. monster movie in Korea, and Godzilla does something that I think is smart in that all of the pretty much all of the action we see unfold is stuff that is seen by Aaron Taylor Johnson's character. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is we're not seeing like this person's situation, this person's like almost all of it is coming from him or if not Elizabeth Olsen. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of his journey. It's with not him. a sort of third person omniscient. Correct. Storyline. Correct. Um, which I think makes it feel more personal and can make the stakes feel higher. The problem is, is that Aaron Taylor Johnson is so bland and it's so utterly serious, which may be a response to how unserious and terrible the 1998 Godzilla was with Matthew Broderick. (laughs) But it feels a little bit like, you know, like the Dark Knight can get away with having a serious tone because in its heart, it's like a crime thriller. Right. This is not. (laughs) Giant. A giant lizard fighting a giant, like, pterodactyl-type creature. (laughs) Like, it's pretty ridiculous. And, you know, that was what worked so well with The Host, is that it was this monster movie, but it's told from a very limited perspective of this one family's experience with this monster. Mm -hmm. But it's also funny. Yeah. Like, he finds the humor in it, while the serious moments still playing are really effective, which is a tricky tone to balance, and that did not work. Yeah, it's hard. I would definitely still recommend it, and I thought it was a, a generally good movie, but just not, you know, something like this should be rewatchable, and then I, I would never want to sit through this movie again. I would recommend it if you're, like, really tired and you need a good <laughs> night's sleep, but your mind just keeps going, so you need something to sort of snooze to. <laughs> this movie got really good reviews, too, didn't it? I feel like I got good reviews just because it was so serious in tone and yeah. people really like Gareth Edwards, which I think he has lots of promise. In fact, the problem of the movie might really not have been his, it might have been more the script and the fact that he cast a, like, soggy piece of log <laughs> yeah. as the lead. Yeah, I don't get it. And, like, Brian Cranston was in it, so let's give it good reviews. And Julia Pinoche. And our girl Sally Hawkins. Little, who, little special shout out to her. Yeah. Who is such an incredible actress that she makes spouting exposition interesting. She did. Like I liked I liked and was more attached to her character than I was Aaron Taylor Johnson. Or Elizabeth Olsen <laughs> and their child. Right. Probably a, a problem. I didn't give a shit about. <laughs> uh, anyhow. anyhow. <laughs> um, moving on to a film that got really very solid reviews, but unfortunately not many people saw um, Edge of Tomorrow. Though it, it is, you know, it, word of mouth has been catching on. It's 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 probably going to crack $100 million, right. as it should. And it'll do well internationally because... Yeah. True. I was, I was pleased with this movie. Definitely. I thought it was highly entertaining. Mm-hmm. I loathe Tom Cruise, Me but too. in this movie I... Barely even noticed it was Tom Cruise, <laughs> which is the kind of the highest recommendation I can give Ouch. for a Tom Cruise performance. Emily Blunt was great as usual. Amazing. Um, I thought it was smart and engaging and mm-hmm. um, just and pretty in a mm-hmm. sort of apocalyptic way. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I would highly recommend it. Absolutely. I'm so, so glad that this movie surprised. You know, it was kind of a mm -hmm. sleeper hit with critics. Like, no one really would have given this movie the time of day, especially, you know, coming off of Tom Cruise's last few movies. You know, just last summer he had Oblivion, which was a similar Ooh. sort of sci-fi, post-apocalyptic film that was not so good. So I'm so glad that this worked out. I, I know Elizabeth and Nathan don't, but I love Tom Cruise. I adore Emily Blunt. I thought they were both really, really firing on all cylinders. Like, great roles for the two of them. It was smart. It was super entertaining. Talk well about done. comic relief, too. I mean, Absolutely. what was lacking from Godzilla was, totally. was in this movie in spades. With the, I mean, almost too much at times, but it really didn't matter because it was a summer movie no. and you're in the mood to yeah. be taken on that, on that and, ride. And, you know, I mean, Matt is right that I don't really like Tom Cruise, which part of it is, I think, especially in recent years, he's really sad on his laurels as far as, like, not doing inventive things and expecting it to work just by being <laughs> Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. um, but this film really took his sort of given persona and flipped it a little bit in a way that really worked for the film. I have always loved Emily Blunt. I've been in love with her ever since Devil Wears Prada. Like, Oh, even before that. Yeah. For, I, think, I think that was the first thing I saw her in, and then I went back and watched old things. And I have loved her and wish that she would be a bigger thing. And But I would never have thought to cast her as like an action hero. And mm -hmm. she was so badass. Yeah. And I awesome. loved that even, like, again, spoiler alert, but at the end there's a kiss between them. But in a way that feels earned and feels more of a like we have literally been through hell and yeah. war together and you're the only person who understands yeah. the experience that I've had. So the, the kiss didn't even necessarily feel romantic so much as like you're the only per I'm probably going to die. You're the only person in the world who understands what I'm feeling mm -hmm. and this incredible bond and... Like, I don't know, it was just such a great, like, it felt so earned. Unfortunately, the very end then sucked. Yeah. The last five yeah. minutes are terrible. We're <clears throat> clearly tagged on in a way to make it, the movie, not end on a bleak note. Yeah. Um, which so I wish it would have had the balls to do it. But I thought Emily Blunt was so great. They had great chemistry together. I always think he's got great chemistry with everyone. He does. Which, having personally, I met Tom Cruise, actually. This is a little, <laughs> oh. this is a little anecdote. Uh -oh. Um, Look out. But, no, but I met him, and of course I'm not a fan, and think that he's crazy with the whole, like, Scientology thing. Well, yeah, in real life, I'm not a fan. Um, however, like, he, I was working at, I won't, sh I won't share where on the pockets, but I was working, like, at a big retail store here in New York, and he came in after hours, it was like a, a shopping thing for a charity that he was involved in, and he was so, like, he came, and he shook every single one of us that had stayed after he hours. Shook you or he shook us really hard. No, he, he made a point of like shaking everybody's hand and like sincerely thanking them for staying after and but also in a way that didn't like he was so charming and personable that I got it for the first time ever. Like if I were a casting director and this person came in and mm -hmm. gave me the eye contact, the smile whatever, that I would be like, yes, a hundred million times this is a charismatic person. Yeah. So I totally acknowledge that he's very charismatic and that transfers to screen. I just don't think he's a particularly strong actor and I think he makes terrible choices a lot of times. But this Sometimes. movie would not be one of them. No. Yeah. 
Anyhow, definite thumbs up with that. Yeah. Um, and I think we can move on now to something that's definitely a huge thumbs down and probably the worst of the summer, even worse than the other woman, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is so disappointing, is Maleficent. Yeah, another one that's just boring in, I mean, it's bewildering. How can a movie like this be boring? I know. And um, how does this movie get made with this budget? And, and with a first-time director? Yeah. Just doesn't, I just mean, doesn't a movie start at the script stage and someone should, at the studio, should be like, okay, good idea, absolutely, Angelina Jolie is Maleficent? Yes. This script? No. Just, but the ooh. problem is, I mean, look at it. Maleficent is going to be the biggest grosser of, of Angelina Jolie's career. It's going to be the highest grossing film. Yeah, really. And oh yeah, and, look and at the if business. you look at and if you look at Disney, Disney doesn't always give a shit about whether or not it's a good movie or. Oh, they don't. Not. Well, they should. And they totally neuter. They the should character. care about money. Right, which is what they care about, and they absolutely they knew how to market it's it. It's all about brand, not about art. Right. Which is unfortunate because it would have more staying power in history if they right were just yeah to make but a they're movie. all the people that are making money are all gonna be dead so <laughs> so it doesn't matter i mean they don't give a what? rat's ass they don't it's disney yeah. they do not no, care. They don't care. once again talk about like trailer disappointment because i knew from the second they announced it that it was probably not going to be a good movie I know. like you just know but i i actually really especially in the later years i love her I love Angela. Like I'm full on and creeping closer and closer to being an Angelina fangirl. Um, I love her. The original trailers were great, and that they were visually arresting. They had the great Lana Del Rey cover, yeah. mm -hmm. and you just knew it wasn't going to live up to it. But what I didn't realize was how much they were going to make her character not a villain ever at all. And it's too bad. I mean, Maleficent is without exaggeration, probably my favorite film character ever, like of all time. Definitely I was the best obsessed villain. with Disney, Disney villains when I was young, which says a lot about me, but <laughs> Maleficent is definitely the peak of them. And yeah. I, there's a video, I wish we could get a soundbite for the podcast of me when I'm like probably three or four <laughs> reciting her entire speech near the beginning when she first comes to the, the christening of Aurora, which is the best scene in this live action movie because they basically pull it directly from the Disney animated film and Angelina Jolie nails it. And you were so only... twinkly as a child. Oh, I sure was. And I don't understand a lot of it, like nobility, gentry, how quaint. I don't know what I'm saying and I mispronounce them, but it's... I make it work. I was a performer. Uh, but I love Maleficent, and so this was just super, super disappointing. And speaking of, you know, feminist principles, I mean, <laughs> the fact that she's, that uh, Maleficent is, well, spoiler alert, but she's essentially assaulted. She is assaulted. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're supposed to think of her as a villain in any way, because her response right. is justified i mean it's it's yeah. it's twisted in that sense which i think that's the problem i mean that's the problem too is that if it weren't maleficent if it was a different story i mean the movie still would have been bad just because it was boring and not like the script yeah. wasn't well thought up but i i definitely think it's interesting to have essentially like she has wings she's a fairy she has wings and she's mm -hmm. drugged and has her wings 
severed, cut off from yeah. her body. And Angelina Jolie has even said in like interviews afterwards that it absolutely is like an allegory for rape yeah. and for yeah. sexual assault, which is a fascinating thing to then see to have sort of as a children's movie mm-hmm. in a way that it's like something it's that like children can kind fairy of fairy tales like well right yeah. totally it's totally a grim fairy tale in that it's like a kind dark adult, something dark. but it's a way for children to sort of see and relate to adult films which is what fairy tales originally were meant to do they mm-hmm. were meant to be a way to sort of help children deal with and understand deeper issues in the world the problem is that they chose to do it with the character of maleficent and so then like you're just taking a hero and totally neutering it I mean, yeah. I, I mean, okay. And then they just totally botch and change the entire story of Sleeping Beauty and the entire animated film, which has much more balls than this movie has. It's just so... She doesn't even get to be the dragon. No. Voice. Though I did like Sam Riley. Liked him a lot. As the... Well, he's a human at one point, and then the raven. Well, oh. I guess a raven. He's a raven, and, and she turns him into her, like, human... Her, like, sidekick. Sidekick. Brony. And I thought he was great. And then, you know, you cast Imelda Staunton, Leslie Manville, and Juno Temple as the fairies. Mm. Yes, yes, and yes, but what they did with them and that Terrible. CGI, no, no, and Terrible. hell no. Yikes. I was going to say, the only redeeming factor in this entire movie is that Imelda Staunton is in it. And so you <laughs> see her face, and you are reminded that Imelda Staunton exists. <laughs> as and, you should. Um, and then you think back, and you go rewatch. what's that... Great movie. Vera Drake. Vera Drake. And then Or hell, watch Harry Potter and or Harry the Potter. Order of I mean, Phoenix where she's any so number of great. movies that she's in. And and also, that makes it worth it. Also, speaking of Sam Riley, who was my favorite part of this movie, instead watch the movie Control. Control. He's so, so good, and I have really liked him ever since that movie. So yeah. watch Control instead, watch Vera Drake, watch Harry Potter. Watch Another Year with Leslie Manville. Oh, yeah. Leslie Manville. That's great. Watch Much Do About Nothing. I think as a way to wrap up this movie, because I don't think it deserves any more discussion. <laughs> I think Fair I'm, enough. Um, I want to go on the record as saying that I never wanted to see it in the first place. He shouldn't. We <laughs> he dragged him. So. Um, oh, and also Shiloh Jolie Pitt. Is that the one that's in it? No, it's not Shiloh. It's the other one. Whatever. Whatever one of the Brad... Pitt, Angelina Jolie, Spawn, that plays little Sleepy Beauty, is a beautiful, beautiful child. So I cute. hate children, but yes, I will. She was adorable. Agree. She was a cute adorable little. Adorable little child. Cute little muffin. All right. Not adorable would be the two child actors they had at the beginning of the film to play oh, no, the Reggie. young Angelina Jolie and Reggie. young Charlotte Coker. Oh, yeah. Yikes. Tragic. Not good when you start a film <laughs> with that. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of children, next I'll move on to an animated film. Not that animated films are for children, but um, I recently <laughs> saw... They are. <laughs> Not always. But, um, Not necessarily just for children. I saw How to Train Your Dragon 2. Um, Elizabeth and Nathan did not, so it's another one like The Other Woman. Uh, but thankfully, much, much better, uh, where it was just me. Um, I definitely think the first one was better. I, I love, I really, really, really love the first film, How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, definitely in my top ten, uh, whatever year that was, 2010, I think. Um, th- th- it was just as good. And I really love that so many animated films these days are like snarky and kind of sarcastic and that's sort of to get in like the adult humor so the adults will take their kids and like a lot of that stems from Shrek which is a good movie but then all the like knockoffs henceforth have just been 
unwatchable. And this movie, well. yeah, they don't. And this movie and the original, it's there's just such heart and it's so honest. And part of it is because it's, you know, period. And so they can't really do those like pop culture jokes that a lot of the more recent animated films do. But it's just, they're so captivating. And the I didn't see it in 3D this time, but the 3D is great. They're shot really well. The score by John Powell is so, so good on both of them. I love the characters, especially the the dragons. They they have such personality. It's I really recommend this movie. It's not as again not as amazing as the first movie. If you haven't seen the first movie, I really urge you to check it out. It's so just great. as good as any Pixar movie. I mean, the first one came out the same year as Toy Story three, which is like one of my faves ever. So that right. narrowly edges it out. But this one was just as good. Worth your time much, much better than any of this Maleficent BS we've been discussing. And I don't know about Nathan, but I do really want to see it. I just haven't had the, the time and chance to see it yet. Also, well, what? Oh, I was going to say True Confessions. I haven't seen the first one, so <gasps> I, I do want to. Yeah. You know. I would recommend it. Priorities. It was a, it was a surprise. I was not... Total surprise. I was not expecting... To no, I never would have seen the first one, but then it, it stayed in theaters for months. Right. It ended up grossing more than like two hundred million, and critics loved it. But a, a quick fun fact: apparently, Ooh. Toothless the dragon, mm -hmm. a lot of his movement was actually based on the animators' cats. Yep, they had Which cats, and they watched it. So for How to Train Your Dragon two, some of them are based on the movements of cats, and then others are based on dogs. Yeah, so they you like, can tell. You can tell. I mean, it's all, it's kind of like about, great. I mean, that's why you can relate to it too. It's about yeah. pets and right. family and community and so good. So good. Uh, let's move on to something that's so, so not good. Um, <laughs> last night, Nathan and I saw, and I was really looking forward to this movie and I really wanted to defend it and really like it, <laughs> but I just can't. Uh, we saw The Fault in Our Stars and I have nothing against young adult fiction movies even cancer movies even movies that are like purposefully manipulative to get you to cry but this was just not good it really it really, really wasn't really it wasn't. shocked me speaking of you know how to train your dragon surprised me with how good it was this surprised <laughs> me with how bad it was real bad is it so one of the worst parts is it ansel elgort is he yep. the, the main protect well not augustus waters but the the male the male Love Lead. interest. Manic Pixie Dream um, Boy. Manic yeah. Pixie Dream Boy, yeah. as Elizabeth said. <laughs> well, to, I mean, I read it in she stole it. I can't. Well, yeah, she I steals stole everything. So. <laughs> stole my but, heart. <laughs> uh, he is awful. No. Um, yeah, he is. The character is. The character is awful. It's written really poorly. It's written really poorly. It's not uh, relatable. It's not sympathetic it's not anything you want it's to be creepy. within 500 miles of <laughs> it's it's impossible and the only redeeming factor of the movie was shailene woodley's performance and that wasn't even that great like i can't because believe the movie around her i feel like and yeah no no i mean just like laura dern i love i think she's i think she's a you know a highly talented Sad performer yeah so this could take me i could explain this for hours but i have this little condition um no big deal but i'm kind of face blind and blonde actresses are particularly hard for me to distinguish among and so 
any actress who's blonde looks like any other actress who's blonde. So Laura Dern, luckily, has severe enough features <laughs> that I just know her as sad puppy dog fish and I can pick her out of any crowd. Um, but she's and, still beautiful. Just sad well, puppy dog Of fish. course. Beautiful is all subjective, but to me, she's the best. She's the epitome of beauty. <laughs> but um, the only thing I liked about her performance, she was awful. And it's not because oh, she's... No. It's not because she's untalented. In, yeah, it's not because of lack of talent. It's because of the way she was directed, or the way she didn't prepare, or didn't commit. I don't know. She oh, probably no. knew it was. Or the other fact crap, that all the characters so. are written as ciphers to fill into this tragic story. Right, yeah. right. She knew. She was too smart for it. But um, she did have a moment. She had a Jurassic Park moment. Oh. Um, if you remember. Uh, that classic scene in Jurassic Park where she's kind, she's kind of, um, her face kind of collapses into itself and she's kind of heaving. Um, everyone, you know what I'm talking about. Everyone, don't pretend Laura Dern you don't. gives good face. Uh, she gives great face and she gave the same face in Fault in Our Stars. It's been a long time coming. It's been, what, 21 years? Oh, God. Since Jurassic Park. Oh, so yikes. that alone was worth the ticket price, but otherwise... <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, no, probably not. But um, I'm trying to look on the bright side because this was crap. It was. I mean, it still moved me and I bawled my eyes out by the end, but it's not. it wasn't really earned. I mean, there are some good scenes and definitely, I agree, Shailene Woodley was the, the best part of the film. And she's even got Oscar buzz now that it's July and people have, you know, on these various Oscar sites have been putting up their year in advance predictions and their halfway through the year predictions. She's right in the mix and right in the conversation. And I think she's, you know, peaking with some of her celebrity and just, you know, outside of actual films, you know, she's becoming a bigger star partially because of Divergent. And I think it could happen, but I just don't think the film broke out of its young adults. It, it, it was really successful, but it didn't really break out in the way that it, the studio thought it might. I mean, the marketing budget on this movie must have been crazy. It was everywhere, and it really did not justify Let's the just be real and say that her, her star power is ascending because she fits the American standard of beauty. And... Correct. Something I mean, which yes, she yes, herself she absolutely, does not seem to acknowledge. Right. She, she seems like... She seems cool, but she... You know, I'm not saying she's not talented because she certainly is, but she's a good um, crier. But but it's it's I'm sick of it. I feel like she's one of those one of those people where so many people have said she's really really good that then people go and watch her and they're like, oh yeah, she's really really good without her actually being good. Like if you get told yeah, something is a, delicious yeah. enough times, then when you eat it, you're like, oh, this is. There's definitely a snowball effect with. Shailene Woodley. Yeah, it's I hard think. because I was definitely not on the Shailene Woodley bandwagon. I thought, well, I, partially I, I loathed The Descendants, and she had, you know, came close to an Oscar nom for that. She was Ugh, Golden Globe yes. nominated, and I just did not think she was that good in that movie. Yeah. She was fine, and she was totally serviceable, but she didn't really bring more to that bratty teenage... <laughs> she was. I mean, she didn't bring more to that bratty teenage role than was required. She was totally fine, and... Since then, I've not really come around on that performance, but I've I've grown more fond of her as an actress, and I think she has a way of making, especially in a movie like this, where a lot of the dialogue is kind of 
not realistic, wordy, young adult fiction novel. She has a way of making it really natural. And her screen presence is also very natural and relatable. It's kind of like Jennifer Lawrence. And The difference, well, I mean, I don't know. Obviously, all performance is subjective. My problem with her is that I feel like, for me, there are two types of, of actresses who I really like. And I like the ones who are sometimes almost too technical, but are crazy good and like chameleons. Meryl like Meryl Streep, like Tilda Swinton, like Kate Blanchett, mm-hmm. right? Where they can do these performances. And like, I don't even understand how they're able to do this. Highly and then trained. I think highly trained. And then I feel like there are people who are just really natural screen presences, which I think is Jennifer Lawrence. And I think that mm-hmm. that sometimes. Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts, and both of them are ones that I don't always like in movies because sometimes that naturalistic doesn't fit with the character that with they the cast character. as. You know, I mean, I yep. loved Jennifer Lawrence in American Hustle because she was so funny and charismatic, which is Jennifer Lawrence, and she makes that all seem very natural. It didn't really fit for the part. No. You know what I mean? My problem with Shailene Woodley is that she is neither technical Mm-hmm. And for me, she is not natural either. She's aiming for natural, but like I see a person reading lines. When we saw Divergent, I heard her reading lines. Nothing felt organic and also nothing felt skilled. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I but she's can't very really pretty. disagree, but I, I do. She looks great on camera. She does. She has a very emotive face. And she's a, I mean, as we've learned now from Fault in Our Stars, she's a great crier. Uh, that gave me some points for me, but I do think she is a a personality that is quite natural, and I, I see that charisma on screen. I guess you don't, but do you also haven't seen the movie, so your point is moot. Moot. You know, this is just coming <laughs> to me now, but I could see her as the Deborah Winger of our day. Where yes. She, I mean, Ooh. she already lives in the woods. Don't you? So she's, <laughs> She's totally going to leave the industry, resurface like 30 years from now, Yeah. be on 60 Minutes, because that'll still be on the air, of course. Oh, of course. And, you know, there it is. She Deborah is Winger, the Deborah Winger two. of our time. I see it. Wow. I think it's possible. I see it and I support it. All right. <laughs> on that note, I think it's time, <laughs> yes, to move on mm-hmm. to the next film, which is one that we saw as part of uh, the Brooklyn Academy of Academy of Music, BAM's um, film festival, Cinefest. Cinemafest. And that was They Came Together, starring Mm -hmm. Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd, um, which was a sort of spoof on the romantic comedy genre. And by sort of spoof, I mean it was a spoof. Well, Um, sort of, yeah. It was a sort of spoof. I mean, it was trying to be. It should have been more of a spoof, actually. I mean, let's get right into it. It it was (laughs) right right there. I'm not even holding back. (laughs) (laughs) We're gonna let them have it. Get ready. So it was really. I thought it was entertaining. I had fun Mm -hmm. watching it. We saw it as part of the Cinema Fest, which is always fun. And there was a Q and A afterwards with Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd, which I had 
much higher expectations for, but it turned out they were either stoned or drunk or... Well, they also had, to be fair, a terrible moderator. Yeah, the was a terrible moderator. was awful, and the audience questions were as usual. Like, there wasn't much that they could do, because they had terrible questions coming up. They were funny. They were Of course. Um, They were funny in the movie. They're what sell the movie. Yeah, Yeah. and I love both of them, and I still do. Um, But I, I... We were talking about it afterwards, and it just didn't... Whereas a movie like Airplane knows what it is and goes for it every frame, um, this movie didn't quite go for that just ridiculous spoofiness yeah. at all times, and mm-hmm. it would have benefited from more of that. Like one of my favorite just random moments was kind of a Family Guy-esque moment where... Um, you know, Amy Poehler is preparing for her love interest to arrive and she says, <laughs> oh no, not now. I'm dressed, or I look like a... a Farmer. No, no, no. Know. It was a, a chimney sweep. A chimney sweep. And she's actually... And she's on. actually dressed as a chimney sweep with soot on her cheeks. And like, <laughs> yeah. all, just utterly ridiculous. But that's the kind of stuff that works. And it didn't have enough of that. Yeah, it's so it was directed by David Wayne, who, um, among many other movies, did What Hot American Summer, which uh, I personally much better. love and think is beyond genius. But the thing about that movie is that it really understands the tone it wants. Mm-hmm. And it's also an ensemble, so it has a lot of room to explore all the different tropes of like the summer camp yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. Um Whereas this one, because it's a romantic comedy, it's mostly finger... (laughs) It's mostly... Uh I don't even know what was happening Uh there. It's mostly centered (laughs) on Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd. It, of course, has tons of other great comic actors who pop up here and there, but it's it's really just them. And then it it didn't feel as clear in tone and script as a satire as... Yeah, it wasn't always going for the same thing in each scene. It was, and, you know, as we learned in the Q&A, it was shot in a relatively small number of days, and good for them, it's it's still well done and clearly stayed on budget. Um, But it just, it didn't always gel. It didn't always work, you know. And that's, it's always hit or miss with humor, but I feel like it would have just been much better had they stuck with, we are spoofing this genre this is the base story right. of this romantic comedy, and just sometimes you know it strays from that kind yeah. of snarky, trying yeah. to just trying to get the laugh, which is a lot of what humor is these days. Is just hit or miss, trying to get the laugh, and if it doesn't work, it makes up for it in the next scene, and and it does that. It it was still super entertaining. We laughed our butts off. Right. It was still hilarious, and, and I totally recommend it. Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd, and really everyone in that movie are just naturally really funny people and yeah. charismatic. So it's on video on demand as mm-hmm. well as in probably a few theaters. You know, it's a, it's a fun night. It's pretty forgettable afterwards, but it yep. definitely was an entertaining. It's also very short. Thankfully. Yes. Thankfully, which is all this it's the right length. Been. It's the yeah. total right length. So mm-hmm. if you want like an hour and 30 minutes, if that <laughs> to have some good laughs and watch two charismatic. Yep. People have fun together. Totally. But also, like, David Wayne said he had been, you know, the script he wrote, like, more than 10 years ago. And I feel like within that time, he could have perfected... I mean, something like Airplane, which you mentioned, you know, that's sort of, like, the classic spoof movie. Like, you 
doesn't get better than that. Right. You could have perfected some of the jokes and, you know, really it's honed true. in on it's true. just making fun of this genre. Although it was also made on an independent budget, independent true. time, so I think, you know, David Wayne also is a working director on some more high-profile movies that probably take more of his time, and this almost felt to me more of a, like, passion project, project sort yeah. of like Joss Whedon, just, which I actually just watched today, the Much Ado About Nothing oh, that he, like, it. shot at his house, which was, like, really fun. Mm-hmm. It didn't all totally work. It didn't whatever. And and that's what, watching this movie, it felt like a bunch of friends who just wanted to get together for, like, three yeah. weeks and hang out and It was an extended SNL day. sketch. Yep. That was hit or miss, as SNL always is. Yep. Yeah. But still recommended, funny. Yeah. If you like Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd, you're going to love this. Yeah. And who doesn't? Yeah. Who the does next it? movie sure. we saw at uh, BAM Cinema Fest was uh, Snowpiercer, directed by Jun Ho Bong, or Bong Jun Ho? Director Jun Bong. Jun Ho Bong. Jun Ho Bong. Well, yeah. Director Bong, as Director we learned Bong. in the, the Q&A. You should refer to him as. And I yeah. love him and want him to be my best friend, even though we'll probably need a translator. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> This is a movie that I've been anticipating for a very long time. Me as well. Um, because it's kind of, it seems like it's been, you know, a coming soon sort of movie for a long time. It has. Um, and I, I loved it. I don't think it was perfect. I think it had its faults, but it's been a while since I've been as transported into a fully fleshed out world. Mm. Granted, it was a very, you know, narrow, <laughs> literally, <laughs> world because it's set on a train. Um, do, you, do you get it? It's narrow because it's a train. Um, uh-huh. Yep. Uh. So, <laughs> no, but it, uh, uh, that's, I really, I really was all in with the art direction, the the mm-hmm. kind of overall vision of Definitely. of what this world was. Um, I also thought the pacing was great mm-hmm. um, because it was a little bit unexpected too. Very. Um, I you know the the whole premise is that the the masses at the back, the kind of ninety nine percent, are are stuck in the back of the train. They're the poverty stricken, oppressed uh, people, and they're uh, they're plotting a sort of coup um, to advance to the front of the train and, and take over uh, the 1% power, mm-hmm. essentially. And, um, yeah, and, and also, you know, I know we'll talk about Tilda Swinton. She's always, oh. she's always fun to watch, movie. and she's incredible. This is one of my favorite... This might be my favorite. Maybe my <laughs> number one favorite performance of hers I think yeah maybe not the best technically but maybe my favorite right right I think she's given other obviously like more fully dimensional this is not Mm -hmm. a particularly dimensional character and whatever and she's capable of that but as far as just like I could re-watch her scenes over and over over again she's brilliant she's genius always I realize that uses that word is used as hyperbole and overused, but yep. she actually is just, again, and she's like the weird meld of, it's so technically proficient what she's doing, mm-hmm. 
but also feels spontaneous. You know, it feels yeah. spontaneous in the moment. It live feels wire. Yeah. Live wire. It's very absurdist. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I think about, and again, the movie totally has its its faults. Some of the script is clumsy, which I think is, it's based on a French graphic novel as interpreted by a Korean director who has, this is his first English language movie, and he worked with an American screenwriter. Um, so some of it is a little bit like blunt force, but the way it's shot the story, the performances. I read a review that said it was like a fever dream of a movie. Hmm. And I thought that was such a great way actually to describe how I I felt about it. But I think of all the movies that we've seen that we've discussed on here, it's the only one that's really stuck with me. Like I really liked hmm. X-Men Days of Future Past in the moment and I still, or um, Captain America Winter Soldier. But nothing necessarily really sticks out to me, except for that I remember it being a likable movie with good performance. But, like, I haven't been able to shake this movie, and I mm -hmm. still keep thinking about it in a way that doesn't usually happen with, like, action movies or summer movies. And to me, that's because it had a point of view. Well, yes. yeah, And was fresh. And um, fresh meaning I haven't ever seen a movie like and it. stylistically. Stylistically, and it was focused. Mm -hmm. And... Um, yeah, that's why it stuck with me, at least. Well, yeah, because it has ambition and, uh, you know, its intent is more art than your average Hollywood blockbuster, which I will not rag on a Hollywood blockbuster. No, I'm always I love one a good to, Hollywood blockbuster. I'm always one to defend Tom Cruise or Julia Roberts or a Hollywood blockbuster, even if it's not yes, I feel like they, total ha they totally have a place in, mm -hmm. in the world of cinema and in art. I was not as taken with Snowpiercer. I, I did really like it, but it was also... <laughs> Nathan just tried to smuggle me, or... <laughs> smother. Smuggle, yes, smother. Smuggle you. Thank you. On Ooh. this Independence Day, smuggled you to Canada. Happy Fourth. Uh, <laughs> tried to smother me with a pillow um, as I down the last drops of my drink. Um, but I think, you know, the, the movie, while it definitely was focused and it was a clear point of view, and I really did like The Host, which Junho Bob, would, that would have been one of his last films, mm -hmm. or probably the only film of his that I've seen, I think. Um, I really love how he plays with genre in that movie, and I think he definitely did that a bit with this, but it just didn't work as much with this for me. You know, it's this post-apocalyptic, you know, um, it's um, sort of the global warming has gotten to a point where we need to do something about it in, in the film, and... Um, all the governments get together and they put this chemical into the air and it ends up freezing the earth and the only survivors on the planet earth are the people that were on this train which just circumnavigates the entire globe. And it just is not... I like my post-apocalyptic dramas to be grittier and more realistic and it has some of that, especially by the end and there's lots of moments in between, especially with, you know, your... Point of view is from Chris Evans. He sort of bookends our podcast with Captain America. I know he's sort of the, the lead of this film. Um, and then the 99%, you've got Jamie Bell, who I love. I wish he was in more films. I love Jamie Bell. Love, 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 love. <laughs> um, it's sort of, you know, it's from their perspective, and, you know, it's really gritty. But as they work their way, you know, towards getting to the front, there's every car, basically, of this train is like a different genre. 
and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and it just doesn't sort of mesh into this one film for me. It's super interesting and it definitely did stay with me. It's definitely an art piece that I totally recommend, but it just, as a, as a single movie on its own, it just doesn't coalesce into something that I think was entirely successful. See, and that is so interesting to me. Sorry, I cut you off, Nathan. Um, because of all the movies we've discussed, especially talking about like the flip side of Godzilla versus like Edge of Tomorrow, that really understood humor. Mm -hmm. This movie, I laughed out loud. Snowpiercer, oh, yeah. I laughed out. And it's such for me, it was such a perfect mix of. It was serious. It was, and it had its gritty moments, but it was also really funny and clever and that's what I want from my dystopian movie because sometimes you know I think that's the problem with the, the sort of Nolan Batman movies as it went on is eventually it got weighted down yeah. by its own that's true. That's true. sense seriousness. of importance yeah. and seriousness it was light enough and I think the thing that ended up anchoring it and bringing it back ultimately was Chris Evans performance mm -hmm. which I think is one of the best Chris Evans performances and also um director bong likes to work with kang ho song i think this is his third or fourth collaboration with that actor and there's also a korean girl in it who i loved named yeah, on sung ko who was actually the young girl in the host she was in the oh, host um as well and they were so good and their performances managed to be funny at times but also anchored enough as real people that it made it made the whole film work for me. I also just love the fact that it was an English language film that had one of a big star in American films and Tilda Swinton and John Hurt, these like classic English legends. Octavia Spencer, yeah. But also yeah. had two main Korean actors who were wonderful mm -hmm. and I it, it felt like a sort of global story. Yep, definitely. In a way that I really like. And doesn't happen. I mean, talk about um, Tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> Talk about Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Thank oh, you. Oh boy. Um, you know that's based on a, a a novel, and in that novel, the Tom Cruise character is a, it. It actually takes place instead of in France. It takes place in, in a battle in Japan, and yeah. the Tom Cruise character is a Japanese man, and they changed it to appeal to a worldwide audience. So I sort of like that this is a movie meant for the worldwide audience that actually has like. To appeal to a worldwide audience is code for to appeal to an American audience. <laughs> yeah. But, um, Matt, I see your point about uh, wanting it to be grittier. And I think a film like Children of Men, for example, yes. from years yes. back, where on its face I, would, I should have loved it and I should have, it should be one of my favorite movies of all time, given the subject matter and the mm -hmm. director. I love Alfonso Cuaron, and for many reasons, um, I should have loved it, and really, I just, as much as I try, I can only really like it. Um, and I think that has maybe some of the grittiness that you're looking for, maybe, especially in the second half of the movie. Yeah. Um, Whereas this movie, I enjoyed that it was a little bit more kind of surrealist almost. Mm -hmm. Because, and speaking of a fever dream of a movie, I mean, they're on a really, the world does not exist anymore. They're in a totally artificial environment. And so in that sense, it's not so much, well, it is dystopian. It's a, it's a totally new world. 
Oh. Um, even though it shares a lot of these same power structures that our current world has, um, it's it, I appreciated the the artistic freedom. I did too. And the lack of grittiness. Uh, it's also just taking place, you know, 17 years or whatever it was after today's world. And I don't see today's world. Like people, it's not like everyone was born on this train and it's a totally new society. It's today's world was picked up, put on this train, and 17 years from now where we are as people now should be reflected in who what's going I, on on this train 17 years later. Yeah, and, and I, I argue it is, some it is reflected, and you underestimate the, the impact that 17 years on a train would have on you. Especially if you're if it's 17 years section. in one... Well, the tail section I got, car. and that was gritty, but then once we get out of that, it was the rest of the train was surrealist and comedic and not grounded in a way that... But I would, I feel like you could make the same argument for today, which is that you have people who live in... Well, yeah, and I think yeah. it was just making a bigger... one percent no is, is comedic and <laughs> completely Right, and I think that grounded. I do... It's not that that wasn't intentional. It just wasn't necessarily the movie that I thought it was going to be. That's or that I that I was hoping to watch. Well, I think, I think just because we have to wrap it up, I, I think that even our slightly divisive opinion on Snowpiercer, I think that all three of us can agree that this is the type of movie and director that should be working more and is exciting to see versus Absolutely. your Michael Bay Transformers, Yikes. which none of us have seen and I have no or desire well. to see because I've seen one and a half, I fell asleep during the second. But Not you know enough. what I, like, uh, so I think we can all So you've already that. seen it. Basically, yeah. That I would much rather see a movie like this that maybe you have a mixed opinion on. Thank you. Oh, Ooh. boy. Um, versus, but it's something with a clear vision and a clear... Totally. Yeah. I will agree with that. Well, happy summer viewing. Yeah. We will be back uh, near the end of the summer with our, our recap on, on the rest of the summer movies. Otherwise, we also have... a. A summer blockbuster themed podcast in the works that a little bit of World you. Cup mixed in. Oh, oh yes, and anything we will we will bring that to you, to you shortly. But um, we would recommend most of these movies. Yeah. Give or take a, a Maleficent Ooh, or the other one. Or the Fault in Our Stars. Ooh no. So basically, it's the Edge of Tomorrow. If you haven't seen it. Captain America, The Winter Soldier, X-Men, I guess Godzilla. I would not Definitely seek out Snowpiercer. It's yes. definitely a movie that will need your support and is worth viewing. Yeah. yeah. Happy watching and happy 4th of July. <laughs> Yay. Bye. America. America. America.